it's really been fun to watch, you know, because I've been working at home for for so long. I don't I don't know any different at this point, and uh, and to watch everybody else having to adjust to work at home and the stuff that they're going through, it's uh, it's it's been entertaining. A lot of my clients are you know are all working at home now, yeah. and so when we do a Zoom meeting, I, I get to meet their kids and their animals and stuff like that. So it, I, I really enjoy that. It's much more real. Thank you for listening to the Online Business Spotlight. Remember to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're using. Thanks. Welcome to the Online Business Spotlight, where we talk to real online entrepreneurs that have quit their 9 to 5 and started working on their own terms using the internet. Joining us today is Mr. Larry Preston, who is the owner of Race Day, and Larry Preston, and Digital Opera. Good. Got all three of them in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, why don't you give a quick introduction of what those three things are? Uh, race Day is online uh, motorsports race registration. It's a software as a service product. It's at getraceday.com. Um, it is primarily used for registration memberships for motorsports organizations. Also does their event management. Digital Opera, uh, we manage about 200 websites, uh, mostly in um, B2B medical, HVAC, um, and motorsports. Um, and we take care of everything on those sites from the hosting all the way through to their marketing and are responsible for their online results. Sweet. Yep. And, uh, Was there more? <laughs> and then what about, uh, Larry Preston? Uh, that's actually, uh, well, you know what? I'm not, that's really not doing anything right now. It's just kind of there. I've been slowly tweaking it and working on it and turning it into a more of a blog and a consulting platform. But it's not there yet. Cool. So you do these websites, and uh, I was wondering if you could tell us, the listener, what kind of led you to that path, and how how did it all begin? Start getting those websites. How did I start getting those websites? Yeah. Or do you want me to go back to the how did I get into the tech thing at all? Yeah, or just yeah. When did you go out on okay. your own and? Well, that. Um, I was always on my own. I am not the type of person that can work for other people. It took me a while to realize that. In fact, I'm not even the type of person that works well with other people, let alone for people. Um, I was a musician for 10 years uh, professionally. I got my first gig right out my first year of college. I was playing guitar in cover bands, and then I moved into doing studio recordings and uh, writing my own songs. And I learned how to program in C and C++. Taught myself how to do that because it looked interesting to add to the little Mac Plus I had in the recording studio. It said you could add tracks if you knew how to do that. So we had somebody come in from a large bank um, that was doing a commercial, and they looked at the recording software and said, who did that? And I said, I did. And he goes, are you looking for a job? And I said, do I look? At the time, I weighed about 145 pounds, and I had hair, hair down to here and earrings. And I just looked at him and said, do I look like somebody who works at a bank? <laughs> <laughs> but they were pretty relentless in pursuing me, and they finally offered me more money than I'd made in my entire life to go work there. Um, it's six figures, well into the six, or, you know, low six figures. But um, so I went to work there just long enough to realize how not to run a large corporation. Um, that one was run very poorly. Um, I think they've gone under. Can't remember now if they have or not. Anyway, 
but while I was there, I started doing some side jobs, and my first actual client was the musician named Yanni. Um, I set up a mailing list database for him, uh, built it in, I believe it was Fox Pro, or FileMaker Pro, one of the two, um, and uh, got all his data in there so that he could quickly and easily find and mail his fans. So that was in 1993. I actually so looked that, that up. That, so that was before MailChimp. Way before MailChimp, yeah. Before, before people were like, hey, mail lists are useful. They're not just all spam. So mm. um, uh, so I started my own company right then and there called RandomWorks. And uh, I started that with a sort of a business plan mission statement that was way outside the box because after seeing what how corporations were run, especially with programmers, I, I didn't want anything to do with that. So I wrote this rather long treaties on uh, not having any office space, not actually hiring any employees. Um, uh, and everybody I presented this to just kind of laughed and giggled and said, yeah, like that's going to work, you little jerk, you know. Um, but I pursued it anyway. And uh, so I had contractors working for me. And at one point, by 1999, uh, we were making really good money with just three or four contractors, I believe. And then uh, I merged that company into another one, which was a mistake because now I found myself working with and for somebody, which never should have done. And so it was four years of living hell trying to fix a really bad situation. Um, how, did, and it, how did that happen? How did you get under a new thing? Did you try to combine it with another company that somebody already had? or? Yeah, so essentially I had a server in my office that we were providing hosting on. And uh, so we had, I don't know, six, seven websites on there probably. Um, and at that time, you know, traffic was very low to everything. You know, just wasn't a huge deal. Um, but I went looking for a data center to put that thing in because I knew the connection in the basement wasn't going to cover it. So I found this company that was basically the cheapest data center I could find. And by cheap, I mean they were in the third story of a rickety old warehouse building in Minneapolis. <laughs> literally. And at the time, I didn't really notice it, but they had uh, they had cables and wires just hanging from everywhere. And people were tripping on things when they went upstairs and knocking boxes over. And every time they d used the vacuum cleaner, it would blow the fuse and knock the servers offline. <laughs> yeah, so somebody goes up there to make coffee and then they trip over a wire. Oh, yeah, yeah. Upside's down. Yeah. So at the time I was trying to offer, you know, we were primarily doing software development. So we were doing a lot of actual DVD development, um, hmm. writing code. And then we started doing websites slowly, but surely. And more often people were starting to ask for them more. And, uh, I, I always did want to provide the hosting and the development as one package because the two things are so tied into each other. Yeah. Right. So you can write this application, you put it on the wrong server, nothing happens. And now you're stuck with waiting for them to get back to you. And yeah. so um, your the person, for those who don't know, your average person doesn't really know what hosting to pick even now. Right. Yeah. And, and then there's so many choices and so many of them are awful that it's I understand why it's difficult. Um, so that company that I, they had the data center, plus they also sold Internet access. So I was looking at that as like, great, with my application development stuff, we can be like the whole package to a company. We can provide them the whole top to bottom thing. Mm. It took me about a year to realize that that was a mistake because you can't be everything to everybody. And you wind up being, and we were, really mediocre at all those things. Yeah. 
Everything became diluted. We couldn't keep up on the application development. We couldn't keep up on the server stuff. We couldn't keep up on the wireless or in the internet access. And the more I pointed that out and said, we really should cut this down, the more we, sh you know, we should streamline this. We we've got to put processes in place so people know how to do things. The more I was, you know, met with tremendous resistance. Um, and I finally just said, this isn't working for me, guys. I'm going to quit. And instead, I got fired. <laughs> uh, I was able to start over again. And this time, I was able to take what I wrote for RandomWorks and actually put it into into implementation and, and just hire contractors, um, not have an office space. And we did grow Digital Opera to the point where we did need, when we first started doing Race Day, we actually did need office space because... Uh, we were working on the application so much that we just needed a whiteboard to walk over and just do stuff quick on. Yeah. But we only had it for, I think, two or three years. And then I let it go because we weren't using it at all. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was really the time when a lot of the new tools came out, like Slack and uh, Zoom and things like that. So it was just a lot easier for us to have everybody do what they'd been doing already and just work at home. So, and it yeah. was more productive. Well, what's interesting about this is um, last year before the, the virus, there was, uh, well, even uh, like last year and uh, the year before that, uh, Zoom and stuff like that started really picking up. And I mean, we've, you and I, our industries, that's what we use in general. And it was just kind of normal. But now it's become popularized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody's using it. It's really been fun to watch, you know, because I've been working at home for for so long I don't I don't know any different at this point and uh, and to watch everybody else having to adjust to work at home and the stuff that they're going through it's uh it's it's been entertaining a lot of my clients are you know are all working at home now yeah. and so when we do a zoom meeting I, I get to meet their kids and their animals and stuff like that so it, I, I really enjoy that it's much more real than going to a corporate office where everybody's got their little suit on and they're trying to be nice because somebody else is watching them from the doorway and yeah it's just much more comfortable and relaxed and yeah i mean it, it kind of has humanized people to meet them yeah in the house. <laughs> yeah no and i like people it people see that convenience i don't think they're going to want to go back most of the time i don't see that working no no in fact i know of a lot of uh, very large corporations that are selling their office buildings right now so if you were in commercial real estate right now i'd be more than a tad worried i'm sure they'll find uses for those buildings but uh you know, once they figure this out and they can, you know, the, you're, usually your two biggest expenses are personnel and space. And so if you just cut one of those out, whew, that's a big deal. And your people become more productive. I mean. Yeah. Well, one thing my wife was just telling me, which makes sense, we're actually, there's a real estate squeeze right now. And part of it is the fact that people want homes that have an office or the oh, yeah. garden space or whatever. And it's like, yeah, so people want things that we want, too. You know, we want more space because people are staying in their houses more. And so it's like you've moved people from the office, but now they got to have a home office. Yeah. And if you have a home office, I mean, it's you can make it work. But if you don't have a space, it could be. It's difficult. Yeah. Tricky for I, most people. Uh, this house here that I bought in Arizona is new, and I got to be friends with the builder. Um and he's working on his next house, and we just happened to be talking. I said, dude, you got to make sure it's got a really good home office. It's got to have a place where they can educate the kids and leave the stuff there, like the whiteboard and everything. And you need a home gym in that office. He's like, oh, my God, you're right. I could turn this into a million-dollar house in about three seconds flat. And I said, yeah, you could because there's so much demand right now. And there are no houses like that on the market. You have to convert a bedroom. Yeah. 
So that means you lose a bedroom, you know, and then the space for the kids to work, that's even tougher because it usually winds up being the kitchen. And now you got junk that has to be cleaned up every time you want to eat a meal. And, and, uh, so there's, there's some big changes coming there, I think, and all for the good. It's all better. It's all better. Yeah. I definitely, we were thinking about our gym membership and it's like, uh, I definitely want to cancel that and just work out at my house. Uh, yeah, I would much rather go outside and get some kind of exercise that I've never enjoyed going to a gym. I just always found it uh, hugely inconvenient because it's going to suck up the time of driving there and then getting dressed and changed and showering in those places is not my favorite thing at all either. And uh, yeah, no, this is just much better. Yeah. And here in Arizona, you can put the gym outside. It's wonderful. Yeah. So you went from the music industry yep, and then you went into coding Tech. development and then you went out on your own. Yep. And then you went and kind of merged, partnered with somebody, and you were like, "This." Yeah. Is. When we when we took on race day, I brought on uh, I brought on one and a half partners, I guess. Um, and it was primarily because they were so heavily invested in the development of race day, and they were spending so much time on it that I felt like I needed to give them. Yeah. Uh, and some that was, yeah, but that was after you had joined with that uh, server company. Uh, well, I got out of that in two thousand and four that server company, right? Mm -hmm. And when I restarted, I said, I'm just gonna focus on just doing the hosting and the development of these sites so that we can just narrow those two things down and have those be really slick, like really slick how we get somebody in there, how we um, get them started, uh, how we uh, optimize that website, make sure it's as fast as it can. And then, you know, all those processes have changed as technology has changed along the years. So we've had to update those processes all the time. But now, you know, we can onboard a new client depending upon the size of the website, you know, a few hours at top, at best, which used to take several days Yeah, in the old days. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, um, it is interesting. Maybe you could speak to this a little bit, but the process of website development has also changed a lot um, with the with kind of more user-friendly options out there. Uh, have you noticed any changes that that has made in the way you structure your business or uh, the process of building the website? Yeah, we we've always used kind of a hybrid version of Agile that kind of does keep changing a little bit. So we dump everything into a code repository. Uh, some of our smaller websites we don't have to do that. It just it's not feasible to have to have the, the code updated from the repository all the time. Um, but a lot of them we do. And so we work offline, get it done, get it tested, get it approved, and then get it pushed. Um, but the reliance on front-end developers has become much more important. Yeah, so like uh, designers the, and all that. Yeah, and Steve Jobs once famously pointed out in some speech he gave that as we progress, I mean, when we started out with computers, you were literally dealing with zeros and ones, and you had to know how which group of zeros and ones did what. So it was really complicated to do anything. And then we got a new layer that said, okay, now we're going to kind of write something that looks like English, so you can not have to do all that stuff anymore. And so these layers keep getting added on, making it simpler and simpler until we're going to get to the point where, you know, it is literally going to be point and click uh, to set up really heavy-duty applications. There will always be need to customize those beyond what those prepackaged things can do. Um, so it's essential to know what the what's going on in the background. But as those technologies have become simpler, of course, you got more people coming into the, or trying to get into the field because they think they don't have to go any deeper than just the point-and-click thing at the top. No comprehension of what's going on down here, which is very bad. 
As soon as yeah. I run into a problem, it's a problem. Well, I mean, it's going to be like uh, I ran into some of those issues with what I do. And it's basically like you're going to get hacked. Uh, your your site is going to have an error that you don't know how to fix, and you can't really chat with the hosting support on everything. You got to know how it works. Yeah. Or else you're going to be in big trouble. Yeah. In our case, we are the hosting support. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. Um, I've got one server admin in Rhode Island who is phenomenal. His name is Simon. And uh, he's by far the best server admin I've ever worked with. And I've worked with probably 10, 15 different ones. But I have yet to be able to stump him with anything, um, which is. I think great because I come up with some great ones every once in a while. Usually having to do with HD access files and new versions of PHP that don't work together. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah it's super fun when, uh, I mean, there was one day when I was going into the, I was just doing something basic for somebody, well, I considered it basic, but I, I found myself going into the SSH terminal and fixing something, and I was like, I think I'm charging too low for this. Because <laughs> I felt like I was in a spy movie. One of my developers here, I keep giving him grief about that because the minute we started using Ruby on Rails, which was quite a while ago, everything's from the command line in Ruby on Rails. Everything. You want to plug in, you got to go through the command line. And I'm like, dude, I just went through 10 years where we got rid of the command line so we could do stuff faster, better. And now you're right back to the command line. And he said, yeah, it keeps riffraff like you out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, you're right. I don't want nothing to do with the command line anymore. <laughs> yeah. Unless I have to. So. Cool. So when you first started, um, is there anything that you would tell yourself then that would have made it easier? Any major things you learned over the Oh, if I could go back and talk to 28-year-old me or whatever it was. Um, yeah. Uh, number one, you should every year take some time off and go do your goals planning what you're going to do and make those goals massive. Do not come out and say, Oh, I want to make a million dollars with my agency. Shoot for the moon. And then like literally figure out how could you actually get there, right? Spend the time to go, okay, if I want to make a billion, what would that actually look like? How would I actually get to a billion dollars? How many people would I have to have? So on. If nothing else, it's a great exercise, but absolutely make those goals as big as you can. I mean, ours has always been for the last few years to make us the highest grossing business in America with less than 10 employees. Hmm. Really hard to quantify that because there's not a ton of data on that unless you can get the IRS to start spilling some information. But but yeah, it's not your yeah. business, but it's their business. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So those just goals have to be big. I mean, the, the bigger you shoot for something, you know, if you get halfway there, that's a lot better than shooting for down here and only getting halfway there. So that's the big one. Uh, two, any bad decision I've made business-wise was entirely based on the fact that I had a momentary lapse in belief in myself. Hmm. And I do mean moment. It could have been a day-long, week-long, where I was just thinking, nah, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I made a dumb decision that cost me dearly. So believe in yourself like there's, like your life depends on it because it really does. Um, you know, and in my case... When I wrote that first thing for RandomWorks, I was right. And instead of really arguing it, I kind of went, eh, well, we'll try it the other way for a while and see how it goes. Nope, I was right. <laughs> yeah. um, 
figure out what's unique about yourself and with what we do, that is really difficult because if you look at the vast majority of websites that have to do with anything with websites, uh, uh, if you look at their marketing, very few of them have anything that makes them stand out from the other 7 billion people. Yeah. So I think you really have to look at yourself and go, what is it about me that's different that I can use uh, in the business or what's different about the business? Uh, great examples, and I actually looked at their website the other day, and they've changed it now, but there was a website called uh, Road Warrior Creative, and their whole pitch was that four months out of the year, they get in an RV, and they travel to different places, they do seminars, they pick up new clients there, and then they spend the rest of the time back in Texas, but the whole fact that they were going out and traveling like that, they did a lot of restaurant work, so they were able to go to a lot of restaurants and just drive up with their giant camper that said Road Warrior Creative. Um, that was different, really stood out to me. It stood out a bunch, a lot of other developers. Um, you have to cultivate who supports you in what you do and curate who you talk to about what you do. Um, a lot of people that you talk to about what you're trying to do with your business, their eyes will just glaze over and they really don't care. And they're immediately thinking, how can I turn this conversation into about me? <laughs> so for us as developers, and I'm sure you've run into this, when you are talking to a client, they don't care about you. They just want to know what you can do for them. And so you get yourself into that role of just going, what can I do for this person? What can I do for this person? What can I do for this person? Which is good, right? Because you want to be able to take care of them. But now when you're talking about your own business, you're still stuck in that whoever you're talking to, you start looking at them and going, I wonder how I can help that person rather than, no, no, we're talking about my stuff now. <laughs> yeah. So you have to find those people that you can actually share that with. It might be your, your, spouse it might be family it may not be uh, but the one thing i would caution against is business gurus because um, i've looked into a lot of them in the last few years just for fun and i am a firm believer that you've kind of got some kind of path laid out for you somewhere somehow some way and when you start talking to these business gurus they'll be like hey the top 10 ways to grow your agency do this do this and do this and all those things do is take you off of what you're supposed to be doing to get where you need to go Yep. Right. The only one that's going to find your way that you got to go is you and and your God. That's the only way that's going to work. These people are going to distract. Now, you can listen to them and listen to their ideas, but don't spend a lot of time absorbing what they tell you to do to grow and change your business. You got to find it on your own. That's harder. Um, it's real easy to go. Oh, I'll just follow this checklist and grow my business. It's not going to work. And plus, I don't know. There's just this plethora that have showed up lately on how to grow your agency. And, you know, 90 percent of them are just dog poop yeah <laughs> just <laughs> it kind of reminds me of uh i'm reading this book by a guy named david goggins and it's uh it's about a guy that is a kind of ultra marathon runner and a navy seal and he was talking about you don't need to look at the guys around you you don't need to when you're running a marathon don't look at them don't try to do what they do you're running your race Yes, exactly. I've never done one of those. I don't plan to. I, I did a bunch of that in the 90s. But, you know, you got your, when you run those, you got to make sure you're doing your, your plan. When yeah. I get here, I'm going to go this pace. I'm yep. going to do this, I'm going to do this. It's the same thing with your business. Don't look at somebody else's success and try to replicate it. You know, learn some things from it, but you got to run your own race. Absolutely. And that's, I wish I'd have known that early on because I did, Honestly, I kind of kept listening to different people who were in completely different fields, didn't understand the internet, and I should have never spent a second listening to them. Also extremely new back then, though. And so yeah. you got to give yourself credit for kind of coming up with something pretty innovative at the time, you know? 
uh yeah and i do uh at the time i i i was it was uh people were arguing with me against it so vociferously that i was like yeah maybe i maybe i overshot shot the object here um the other things i would say is relentless positivity in the face of whatever's going on just find something positive there's a great line in a monty python movie that or no it wasn't monty python it was uh braveheart mm. as king you must find the good in any situation so Big you really between those two movies yeah yeah sorry well they're <laughs> set in the roughly the same time weren't they yeah. <laughs> uh the other one that i uh i kind of made a mistake with was was just you know wellness in general, I was working so many hours and stuff that I, I got into trouble with not being able to sleep and putting on weight. And and uh, you have to stay on top of that because if you don't feel good, none of this matters. Right. Just doesn't matter. Um, and then as far as the business, it really is. If you're familiar with Marcus Lamone from The Prophet, I really enjoyed that show because this whole thing was people, product and process. And as far as growing your business and how you're going to do it, that's the three things you have to focus on. Uh, people's number one, we, we can spend up to two years vetting somebody here before we'll actually say, why don't you, we'll just keep working full-time on stuff. Um, and we do that on purpose because we want to make sure that whoever gets on the bus is somebody we want to be in the trenches with. And, um, so that's the number one thing. And then the product has to be great. It has to be a great experience from top to bottom. And then your processes on building those. Um, I, I blew off processes for years because it sounded to me like corporate double speak. And uh, a lot of the people that I knew that you know, talked about processes made me want to cry because they were so boring. Mm -hmm. But when I started to, you know, really implement them and realize what they did for the business and making it run smoother and faster, and then I could hand stuff off to people easier. I was like, Oh yeah, I get it now. <laughs> so I wish somebody would have beat that into my head earlier. Um, and then when you set those big goals, you know, you really have to be a honey badger about reaching them. You know, you really got to be just of narrow focus. Some of the best business owners I know, can't talk about anything but their business right and they are ju just driven and focused and a lot of people don't want to live like that and i understand that but the guys that i know are the best they've been just relentless um and then the last thing don't be for everybody don't try and do all things for all people realize that all markets are not your markets um and the best example i can give you is motley crew when i watched that the dirt movie I was pretty amazed at how much marketing actually went into building the image of Motley Crue, whether they did it on purpose or not. They built a brand there that was built around wrecking hotel rooms, taking a lot of drugs and having sex with everything that moved. And um, because of that, they didn't spend a whole lot of time, you know, trying to market to Depeche Mode fans or uh, Madonna fans. They just went out and found Motley Crue fans and did everything for them. That's really the way you got to be with your business. When you find the people who get what you're doing, understand what you're doing, and you get good results for them, you do everything for them and you ignore everybody else. You so there. Something similar with your one of your bands, right? Which was trying the, to figure out uh, people that would enjoy your music oh uh yeah when i was uh when i got into recording and i started writing my own songs and i was writing from top to bottom i produced a demo of about six of them uh not a very good demo i just had some really cheap small equipment yeah, but it came out pretty good and instead of handing that demo to people that would have been fan i didn't even think of doing that I sent it to my other musician friends and they all just ripped it apart for the recording quality. And I don't think one of them even mentioned the song or anything about the song. They just said things like, there's not enough reverb on your voice here. I can't hear the bass guitar at the end of this little thing. I mean like really 
detailed, you know, which was great if I was working on the recording. Yeah. But I was really just looking for feedback. Is the song worth a shit? Should I keep working on this or not? I didn't get any of that. And that frustrated me. But when I did hand it to a couple people who like that kind of music, they freaked out. They were just like, oh, my God, it's so great. What are you going to do? You know, and I kind of blew them off. It was like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a musician and a recording guy, so you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Backwards. Ass backward, and I think we do that with our businesses too. Somebody will come in and say, "Wow, you did a really great job in this," and you're like, "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> and uh, but I'm aware of that now, and I don't do that anymore. So I learned that lesson. Yeah, you don't want to let uh, people in your industry define what you do because they're not your customer at all. No, no, absolutely. In fact, uh, they can talk to you and be nice all day, but they probably hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was talking to a guy the other day, and uh, he was giving some advice on some lead generation stuff for the you know the marketing industry, and uh, he tells me a few things, and then he tries to sell me on something, and I'm like, dude, I now I'm gonna not believe anything you previously said. Yep. <laughs> These people, I think you can stand out in this industry just by being honest and not being full of crap. Yeah, because that's most people in the industry. Um, yeah, and I've I've been long since rallying against companies like Oracle, um, who have a business mantra of just trying to find out how much money you have and how much of it they can take. That's their business model. And so if they sign a perpetual contract with you, they will come back three years later and say, "Hey, you're selling a whole bunch of stuff online. We're gonna have to up to how much we're charging you for that database." Well, it's a perpetual license. Yeah, but if you read in the agreement, we decide what the word perpetual means. <laughs> And there's just an awful lot of tech companies that uh, specialize in baffling people with BS, you know, uh, and we've all gotten those emails and I'm sure every person listening has gotten those emails that says, oh, your website's broken. It doesn't do this and it doesn't meet these ranking scores. How's you know? it broken? Yeah, exactly. And uh, you ask them, how exactly did you test that? Uh, I don't know. My boss gave me the sales script to read and, you know. Um, we read yeah. that. Somebody. We did, yeah, we, we, we big time in it. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, it was troubling, you know, when somebody when you're trying to protect somebody and they ain't listening because they're getting bad advice from a lot of different directions, and uh, I, you know, at some point you just gotta just gotta walk away from that, yeah, because it doesn't do you any good to sit there and try and help them and they don't really want your help, <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, that's uh. Well, sorry, my phone has been just ringing off the hook here. Um, Uh-oh. Nope, nothing. Nothing I got to worry about. It, it actually goes red if I <laughs> got a bad one. Um, Where's that? Yeah. Setting? I need to do that on my phone. Um, I'll have to tell you later because I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> Interesting. Well, uh, looking back at uh, some of the ways you got to your start, is there anything... Uh, was there any moment where you had a major turning point or a major failure that made you rethink everything? Major failure. <laughs> no, there was no major ones. There was small ones small goofs that we made note of like you know early on um uh, and i would say the biggest one is that we had a lot of clients that had no idea what else we did 
Yeah. Um, and I actually did a blog post about this a long time ago, how that all of our clients referred to us as the world's best kept secret. Because <laughs> yeah. they, they knew we could do all this stuff, but nobody else did. Um, and they and didn't want to share it. Of course not. Yeah. No. They were getting a great deal, and we were doing miraculous stuff for them, and they understood that. And, uh, you know, we couldn't, we weren't getting a lot of referrals from them because they didn't want to dilute our time that we were spending on them, I think. Yes. Um, yes. You run into that before, too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it became, you know, a bit of a challenge to just, you know, toot our own horn and say, here's all the stuff we can do for you, what, you know, um, and I would say we still kind of struggle with that a little bit. Um, but that's because we are uh, very busy. <laughs> you know? So, um, But you have to really work on being, working, you know, as the business owner, you have to work on, on being, working on your business and not working in your business. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Because you can, and it's easy for me, you can get caught up in the minutia of the day-to-day stuff that needs to be done. And before you know it, 12 hours has gone by and you really haven't done anything to grow your business. So uh, I've really decided I make time for myself in the morning to do that kind of stuff. Make sure that I know for sure what has to get done the day that's going to take us to the next step. Um, And sometimes late at night, I do that stuff too, if if the day is too busy. But I try and reschedule my time now so that uh, stuff that I shouldn't be doing, I got somebody else doing. Cool. Yeah. And I've had some of my people work with we've been very good about saying, Hey, you shouldn't be working on that. Give that to so-and-so, you know? Well, looking back at, uh, when you came up with this, uh, working from home idea, was there ever a point looking now where we currently are, where it's kind of the norm? What do you think the next step is? You know, what is the next big innovation that needs to happen for technology companies to, uh, to innovate essentially? Um, I think it's partially going to come from what I was talking about with the different layers of technology. Um, if people start to get too dependent on some of those, and I think right now there's a very strong dependency on Google, um, that is unhealthy and the faster you can get around that and get away from that, the better off everybody's going to be. And Amazon. And Amazon and Facebook, I would say, um, and to a large extent, Apple, um, you should be able to, especially on the internet, we should be able to operate autonomously without those things and do just fine. Um, that is a big challenge right now because they've made people very dependent on their tools and what they do. And so what I've always told clients is, you know, make sure you own your own website and all the content of it and don't put your content on social media because they own it. If anything, just use social media to direct it back to your website and just keep all the central focus of it there. Yeah, don't, where you have don't create a, a channel of revenue that makes up so much of your business that's one hundred percent dependent on right them. Yep, yeah. I've heard a couple other guys talk about how the, if the media propels somebody to being kind of a just a big star, um, either in politics or in Hollywood. All the media has to do is turn that back on that person for a second and everything goes away. So you, yeah. you just, you can't let these third parties. And they regularly do that. Exactly. And As you can't. do the uh, the Twitter police. Yes. <laughs> Twitter so, police. So, I mean. Uh, Twitter. What is, I, 
The amount of people actually using Twitter is so minuscule. And why is it like so high up in our consciousness when there's no, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I think only celebrities use it and read each other's tweets. I think so. Somebody tweets for some reason, it's a news article. And I think it's because journalists sit on their butt in front of a computer and they look at Twitter and go, oh my gosh, look what the people are saying. They're really mad about this. And it's not true. Not even kind of, you know. And it might even be bots. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, it probably is. I mean. Um, yeah, I've never, I've, Twitter has always been just kind of a thorn in my side. The more I've looked at it and looked at it and looked at it, it's like, there's no point to it. Don't waste your time. I think, um, so obviously if you use social media in general or you could, uh, lose brain cells, brain cells, but (laughs) Twitter is different because as are any like kind of discussion forms on the internet for some reason, um, it's like. You don't just lose brain cells. You kind of lose respect for your fellow man. And it's it's unfortunate because if you had an actual conversation with them, they wouldn't be saying that stuff. You know? uh, yeah, you know, very early on, in fact, in that thing I wrote for RandomWorks, I, you know, I made note of the fact that the Internet gives us, at that time, gives us the option to have, be the most freeing, unregulated, wide-open bastion of freedom in the world and for the entire world right and uh i did not think that a government like china would figure out a way technologically to control all the information going in or coming out of china and the only reason they were able to do that is because american companies were complicit in saying okay if you want us to strangle this off we'll just strangle this off for you um otherwise we don't get to operate in china and with a market that big they couldn't say no and um but i often believe that the internet what I saw very early on with it when I first started using like AOL um, as a chat room thing was people were very often attracted to whatever was dank and nasty about the internet at first. Mm-hmm. But after seeing about three seconds of it, they're like, Ugh. and then they went looking for everything that was good and positive. Um, and they tended to stay there. And I thought that would be the natural progression of things. People would look at the dank, nasty stuff and go back to the good stuff. Um, The idea that people are fighting for control over information on the internet uh, was not something I really, I mean, I thought about it, but I just thought we were a long ways off for that. And it looks like we're actually getting a little closer to that than, well, this than, year, we, so than we should. Yeah, so. we, should, we shouldn't be comfortable with what's going on right now with anybody, any group of uh, private companies deciding what goes or doesn't go. Free speech is free speech. And uh you know, generally, I've said in the past, if it's your website and you want to block somebody, that's your website and you can block somebody. All right. Do you think that when you first started, I mean, obviously, if you knew what you know now in 2000, you would just buy Bitcoin. And <laughs> yeah. But, you know, back then, was it easier then or is it easier now to start like a software development company or to start kind of an online business thing? It's a lot easier for like a normal person to start an online business now than it was back then because you know there when I started literally there were no those the things they shopping cart um you know it was two thousand and two or something when uh, like Joomla showed up or something like that one of the first like open source kind of shopping cart content management systems you know and they sucked big yeah. time they sucked and. But I still know, like, I know one ginormous website that I help with occasionally is based on that old 
original they just they they themselves kept updating because it was open source so they kept fixing all the problems with it and adding to it um um so is it easier now to start an online show yeah it's very easy now is it easy to get attention now no it's much harder so i always tell clients a couple of things one we can build your website and make it look great but are you ready to build an audience for it or do you have one already because that's actually where most of the work is and the ongoing work and so to get, you know, you have to build your tribe, build your fans around your brand and what you're selling online. And um, there's a lot of people competing for that exact, I don't care what you're selling right now, there's a lot of people competing for the same thing, you know. Pretty tough to, for somebody that's got something that's so unique that it would just stand out as a new different product. But God bless you if you do. It's going to make your life a lot easier. But Well, the way I look at it is I always wonder, I mean, I started uh, making YouTube videos in 2009 and back then it was considered pretty good if you got a million views or if you had you know if you had a million subscribers that was like a really big deal um and i just think about the traffic level now of course very many people have a million subscribers and just normal people do yeah and so the question i'm I'm just thinking like with that back then would it have been hard to get noticed when not many people are using the internet? Well, really, starting in about 2000 is when people really started getting on, you know, and, and really it started to really take off there. And and uh, uh, it was a lot easier to get, um, you know, the way the the Google algorithm worked back then. Mm-hmm. You just had to add a few certain things and you were going to show up. Uh, there was a company we did some work with called, I think it was called Hubcap Haven. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look for anything on Hubcaps back in 2003, they were there. In fact, they, I think they still are now. Um, but that was because they, you know, they ID'd every one of their images as Hubcap. You know, um, every meta tag, every page was, you know, Hubcap. So they, in Google, just picked, and there was a billion links to them, right? Like right off, because they're like, oh my God, there's this new place you can just get every Hubcap. And so everybody had a link to them. Um, that stuff's harder to do now because it, most people are like, yeah, whatever. There's another site out there selling Hubcaps, you know? Yeah, it doesn't really matter. That's one thing people don't realize is like, there's, so I use a couple of SEO plugins and they're always telling you stuff like, well, you should change your image name and your alt text and make sure you have this many keywords i don't think that stuff matters very much now no google's really dropped the emphasis on that they've put more emphasis on the website working properly and being fast responding quickly and uh i don't blame them for that because you know if a website's fast and responding somebody's taking care of it and they're doing a good job with it versus if somebody just throws it up and it's like you know, and I, I don't have proof of this, but I think Google does actually penalize people for being on crappy hosting platforms like Wix, Squarespace, GoDaddy. I think they just assume you're low rent, low budget on those, and they ignore you. Well, at least, at least this it's, much. It's also funny how you, you search something, and it's like how to make chocolate chip muffins. And then occasionally you'll pull something up, and it's like an article from 2006. Yeah. And it's an HTML page. Yep. And it just never has changed because it's still the best result. And, right. <laughs> you know, it's just like everybody goes there and like, oh, this is good. But it's just funny because uh, they just, there's a lot of people like that that are still the top result from back in the day. Oh, yeah. It's just because they're so, they were 
I don't know. They were the best one. Well, you type in anything about old snowmobiles and my old vintage sleds.com site comes up pretty much number one still. Um, I sold that site in 2013 mm-hmm. for a beautiful chunk of change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have kept it cause it was kind of fun, but it was just, it was killing me time-wise. I just had everybody on that website somehow got a hold of my phone number. And so I was getting calls all day from guys going, Hey, I restored this 1968 Skidoo. Do you want to hear about it? Nope. Don't have time. <laughs> well, first I started out with the wheels on the bottom and I, I scraped all the dirt off and, and, and then you don't want to be rude to them. Right. Cause they're really proud of what they did here. So, mm-hmm. so, but I just had to cut and we, you know, we ran into that website was such a fascinating study of the internet because we had some really bad guys that showed up and they're really bad. Um, and they came on to the forum and they pretend one of them, and I, we didn't no idea this was going on. Um, I got a call one day from a guy and said, Hey, you know, that kid Sonic kid that's on the website. Yeah. Um, that's actually a 50 year old guy. I'm like, what? Cause this kid Sonic kid was, he told everybody he was eight years old and he had mental health issues. So everybody on that site was constantly trying to help him. Everybody. I mean, everybody was there encouraging him and said, well, you can't say that. That's a little bit mean. But it was actually a 40 or 50-year-old guy that would use the persona of a mentally handicapped 8-year-old to go after and just rip the crap out of people and say the nastiest things he could because everybody would come to his rescue and say, well, you can't really say that. That's not very nice. And then everybody would call the person that he you know, ripped on and say, um, you know, that's just a, he's just handicapped. He didn't know what he was saying, you know. Yeah. But meanwhile, whoever he ripped on, never they wouldn't come back. You know, and it could have been somebody who was kind of a celebrity in that whole thing, and and that happened a lot. And when we finally caught him, um, he quit the site and then ran out immediately and said, "Oh, I got kicked off because those guys are Nazis." <laughs> and then he started recruiting people. So he didn't do it himself. He got other people to go to other websites and say really nasty stuff about us. Uh, really, like he went to one website. He had a this is terrible, but he found a guy who got hit in the head when a tire exploded. So he wasn't doing great. And he had that guy go to a website and post up that one of our moderators was a pedophile and put his name and his address and everything. And that guy was, he's a doctor. He went to a conference and somebody said, Hey, what's this about you being a pedophile? I mean, he was almost suicidal over that. And so I realized that we were dealing with some really, really messed up people here. Um, And it turned out after we monitored the whole situation, talked to law enforcement and everything else, the best thing to do is just to let them hang themselves, which they they did eventually. Um, Yeah, the the bad actors. Yeah. Yeah, and that just shows the importance of moderation, and you got to stay on top of this. Oh, and and it's hard. I mean, when you get, for the most part, in that hobby— 99% 99% of the people were awesome. They were absolutely great. But there was just that 1%, man, that would just ruin it for everybody. And, you know, Twitter is made up entirely of people in that 1%. <laughs> it's the it's whole thing. Yeah, it's where they go. Yep. Um, when they they get tired of snowmobiles and wanted to actually talk politics. So, um, but yeah, we learned, I learned so much from that, that, that's, that site. It was a really great experience. Um, and, you know, for a while it was making really good money. Um, that helped you a little bit with kind of, guiding people into their own digital marketing stuff you know i did wind up getting a lot of i I, in fact some of the clients i still have now it came from from they knew that i did that website okay cool you know so yeah that was a good lead it was a good lead generator and i've I've always maintained that we have to eat our own dog food and provide our own use our own products so race day is treated like a digital opera client so everything that all our other clients get 
race day gets. And then I look at it and go, do I like that? Or do I not like that? And we make adjustments to that. Yeah. Um, I think it's very important that you, you need to you know, like surveys, surveys drive me nuts. I get hit with a survey every time I turn around. Would you just answer these questions for us? No. You want to figure out how your business works? Go use your business, mm-hmm. right? Send your manager out of his office, tell him to walk through the store, buy something, see what kind of experience he has. And did he like it or not? Yeah, a survey is not a very accurate way to... I think they're a joke because people are asked to do so many of them every day. I'm not the only one there. Um, and the questions are almost always biased to give the answer that they want to give to upper management. It's not, you know... The last one I filled out was for an attorney that did some side work for us. I gave him 9 out of 10 because he was a little slow on answering phone calls. And I said, great job. Everything was great. Just wish he could have gotten back to us a little quicker on some stuff. The guy called me up screaming bloody murder that I ruined his life because I didn't give him a 10 out of 10. Mm. It's like never doing a survey ever. And he wasn't even supposed to know the result and who it came from. Right. But he found out and I'm like, okay, done with this. That's nice. Yep. Sweet. Well, uh, anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I think we covered everything and then some there. Oof. Yep. <laughs> and uh, where can people connect with you online? You can find me at digitalopera.com. That's the primary spot. Um, also, getraceday.com. Uh, my book is at starfirekids.com. Um, and, yeah, that's it. One of those three places. I would start at Digital Opera. That's probably the easiest way to get hold of me. Cool. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.